0: Our guest this week is a fractional chief learning officer and sales trainer with over 10,000 professionals trained in six countries. His workshops and proprietary courses have empowered sales teams with the right skills to navigate the dynamic landscape of the market. His work has led to seven patents and an international gold award for instructional design. Here to shift our training paradigm, I'd like to welcome to the
1: podcast, Jake Stahl. Welcome to the Engaging Personalities Podcast. I'm Anders Belanger, founder and CEO of Engageify, where we're on a mission to rehumanize business through engagement. We believe that we can all be more successful if we can command attention and deepen connection. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on a future episode. So let's get ready to engage. Welcome, Jake.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a true pleasure to be here.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So um, bef- I like to ask the, to start at the start, you know, uh, you, you're know, you into training and sales training and chief uh, learning officer, fractional chief learning officer. How did this all start? What's, what's your background that kind of pulled you into this realm? I, uh, I was raised in a generation where kids are seen and not heard.
2: And uh- my dad was a pretty big wig in the community. And I found that uh, sitting in on the meetings and sitting in on the parties and just listening to business back and forth was kind of fascinating. So as I got older, um, I really wanted to delve into it further. So I got into sales and really enjoyed myself. And then I thought, you know what, I think training would be a great way to go. So a company took a chance on me and it kind of went, just kind of took off from there. It, It was a wonderful opportunity. And now I'm outside of companies and doing it on my own and just enjoying the variety uh, that different corporations can bring. Yeah,
0: you now chief learning officers aren't something that all companies have. So it, it, it makes sense to be a fractional chief learning officer in that sense. Um, when you, Jake, when you come in uh, to a company who's trying to, um, I, I'm guess, guessing it's almost like under a sales enablement side of things, like training their salespeople, how do you, how do you work with these companies? How do they engage with you? When I first go in with
2: a company, and let me take a step back because you said something super interesting, is uh, you said you can see why it's fractional. The training and development department of a company is usually the last to get budget and the first to get cut. So by its very nature, training development is fractional. You really only need a training department part-time to be able to get initiatives going and uh, still be able to fulfill the needs of the company. So I would argue that uh, being the chief learning officer is is just something that you'd want to have, like I said, fractional by nature. I'm getting lost in my own thought process. Uh, so when I get hired by a company, I will go in and I will do a lot of interviews to start. I'll interview all the salespeople, I'll interview the sales managers, I'll interview the heads of sales, and I'll start to get a rough idea of where they're going and what they want to do. Now, granted, always at the top of the list is to increase revenue. But sidelines or downstream of that is often a lot of other things, build long-term relationships, not be so transactional. So there's a lot of different things that go just downstream from the revenue. and, And I need to know all that. And to be honest with you, when I talk with a company, usually they tell me what they need. And by the time I'm done with my analysis, it's usually something else.
0: I've heard that from someone else uh, just recently. It's it's their problem is never what they think their problem is, right? right. And that's what we yeah. need to have these valuable conversations on the front end. Uh, now, when you ask about you know what their problem is, I, I think I read somewhere that you have about one hundred or over a hundred proprietary courses. Yep. Is it just the, that fact that Jake, you've seen it all, and you've you've developed these courses based on? you know, past needs of, of past customers and, and you kind of have an arsenal then to offer these uh, these new new companies?
2: I would say the arsenal arsenal is more of a foundation. So when I go into a company and I talk to them, every company's needs are different. I get a little frustrated when we have people that put out a one size fits all training approach because that never really works out. There are some foundational things that are truly consistent across companies, but many are not so although I can tap back into things I've created before, I always create a proprietary program for the company. I leave it with them because mm-hmm. as part of the fractional thing, I'm going to be gone one day and you're going to want to have something you can continue to use. So anything I create for a company is theirs when I'm done.
0: Yeah. So let me ask a little bit about that because I, um, and, and and this might fall into that, but these courses that you're creating, are they, uh, you know, you're, you, you you have won an award for instructional design. So I'm going to guess they are structured in a certain way that people are learning. We're always looking at how do people engage with technology, with people, you know, whether it's learning, whether it's selling, communicating, what are some tips that you have to make, you know, courses, you know, that people can learn from really, you know, I think there's some, some ahas you could probably share with us.
2: Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to training, it's really not that difficult. You want to impart knowledge, you want to increase retention, and you want to gain proficiency. I mean, if you want to really boil it down, that's kind of your three pillars. But when it comes to that, a lot of companies nowadays are choosing to just do electronic learning. And I Mm. can't stress enough how that just will not work self-paced people, you have different learning styles. They will go through it. Some will buzz through it just to get it done. Others will read it, but not understand it. So there's a lot of drawbacks to just going electronic or putting it in your learning management system. However, that type of coursework is invaluable for propping up live coursework. So if you I have some basic knowledge that people need to have when they come into a training session. Electronically is a great way to go. If I want to assign them coursework based on something they need in the field right now, that's based on a the session they had. It's invaluable. But the electronic training by itself is not conducive to retention, and it's not in, uh, conducive to really learning as a whole. You may have a small subpopulation where it's it's a very good route to go, but in my experience, it's just not the case. So electronic tronic prop up your live
0: training. Got you. And so, and just to kind of get on the same terms too, uh, yep. I mean, I, I hang out with some of these people that they talk about asynchronous and synchronous right. and all of yep. this kind of thing, right? Which uh, asynchronous meaning, you know, recorded, canned, on-demand. You know, online courses. Uh, synchronous could be live, virtual in in the moment, right? Um, that sort of thing. Uh, but still on a computer, which would be oh. kind of digital, I guess, in a sense too. And then you can have in-person. Well, what we used to think of just normal, <laughs> normal training, right? <laughs> right? Would have been uh, that. Absolutely. So, so you're saying that you know the on-demand kind of digital side. It can. It's a nice complement, but it's it's always nice to have that um happening in the moment piece whether that is virtual or in person is that that is correct and
2: i'm not sure if this is still the term people use but blended learning is is really the answer so you have a blend of uh online live synchronous asynchronous yeah it's so it's it's definitely a blend of the three unfortunately we get to a point where we want to save money so we cut training and we shift all electronic coursework and and it does save money. There's no question about it, but going fractional saves you the money plus gets you the benefit. So I'm not stumping for myself. I'm just saying that, you know, there there's a lot of ways to go with training and you want to increase retention, the ability to disseminate knowledge and proficiency.
0: Yeah. And, and I know uh, I've done my share of trainings and everything and in person, you know in person live with someone like you can't beat that right that so i'm a big fan uh definitely uh in my research i saw that you have seven or when in the intro as well seven patents in field force technology yep Uh that sounds cool what's that all about what (laughs) can you can you tell me what that is
2: sure so with a, a prior company i was with we developed a um Not sure how you'd refer to it, but it was like a CRM, but it was also combined with an LMS. So the representatives could go out and sell. They could take notes as though it were a CRM, but they could also use it as an LMS because they could pull coursework they wanted to take on the spot or on the moment. Typically, a CRM and LMS are are segregated. You know, you have Salesforce over here and then you have uh, an LMS over here. But we developed a product that was a combination of the two. And during that development, we came up with seven patentable ideas. Uh, And and I believe that company still uses that to this day.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, Again, with my research, I'm I'm really pulling back the curtain here. I saw that you're a a fourth Dan in Aikido. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Yep. So I'm not, you know, I, I've taken Aikido, I kind of am getting back into it, I'm nowhere near your rank or anything. Um, but I find that fascinating, because I feel like the philosophy of Aikido, uh, you know, can can sometimes influence how you you teach. Is there something that you, you know, do you incorporate that in any of your trainings or your sales uh, teachings?
2: It's funny you ask that. And you're the first person to ask that. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, Aikido is more of a dance, as you know, from taking it, there's no punches, there's no kicks, it's very flow with your opponent. So theoretically, the bigger they are, the better you're going to do, theoretically. Uh, so in my training, what I try not to do is butt heads or, or try to jam something down somebody's throat or get really aggressive. I find a defensive posture works a lot better. And a good example is when you're speaking with someone, instead of aggressively pushing forward your agenda, and I hear it with salespeople all the time, taking a good flow in a conversation uh, really trumps everything else. Because until you've established that rapport, until you've done that dance as we do in Aikido, uh, mm-hmm. you really have almost an adversarial relationship. And as salespeople, we've made that bed. We Made it very nicely by constantly pushing what we want. But when you blend with that person and what they're talking about on the phone, it makes a significant difference.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. I I remember seeing one time a speaker. Actually, he brought me on stage because I was this, you know, I was probably, you know, early 20s. So he needed a guy up there and he said, uh, you know, punch my hand and I'd I'd punch it and he'd go harder, harder. And, he, and, he's, and he's basically kind of challenging my masculinity by like saying, "You know, getting me to right. punch it." And I take the biggest swing. You know, he—I I was being nice, and then he just kept. And then what he did was he moved his hand out of the way. And for those who are have taken Aikido, Aikido you, he, then he went into a Irime Nagi. So he—he yep. he kind of—I moved past him. He grabbed my wrist that was punching, and he stood behind me, and he looked. And he says, you know, when you're in confrontation, but now if we both look from the other person's perspective and he used that as kind of a metaphor in his talking, and then of course he could, you know, take me where he wanted to go. But it was until we see it from that other person's side. And it was was a neat demonstration. And of course- That is a
2: cold demo, I like that.
0: Yeah, and that was before I ever took Aikido. So I was kind of really taken by it because I was like, whoa, what just happened? Um, so anyways, that's, that's a little bit of an aside. Um, but let's talk about that conversational flow that you were just kind of saying and the blending that, you know, in Aikido, we often talk about that, um, because you've been described as a conversational learning dynamics pioneer. So is that kind of, uh, you know, do you want to speak to that and how we can, yeah. Sure. So if you
2: watch two kids converse, it's an amazing process. I'm five. How old are you? That's my mom. Which one is yours? I like trucks. What do you like? It's a very, it's a strong back and forth. And even as we get older and we talk to our parents or significant others, it's still for the most part a back and forth. Now, granted you have couples where it's like, oh, my husband just yaps away. So it doesn't always happen that way, but for the most part, it's a back and forth, but something happens when we get on the phone or we try to sell our business, all of a sudden it's just a download and it's a thrust and a parry. And, and we try to just strangle the customer over the phone. So one of the things I developed probably 20 years ago was what I call the two ten rule. It's how to measure a cadence in your conversation. So for every two minutes you talk maximum of two minutes, you introduce an interaction. And when I mean an interaction, I mean getting them to say something back to you. Every 10 minutes, you use that as a point to wrap up what you just talked about. So an example might be, Anders, you know what? For the past 10 minutes, we've really been going at it. But here's my understanding of what we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And the 210 rule, I've taught it to companies, individuals. I individually coach people right now. It's an amazing way to get a conversational dynamic back again one thing as a salesperson i always found odd was that i would be talking to my wife and and we'd be having a great conversation but as soon as i got in front of a customer i'm like blah, 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 blah. and it's it's just not natural
0: mm-hmm.
2: so when i establish time parameters of two minutes and 10 minutes it's amazing how people's conversation changes
0: so just by putting the parameter of time now immediately I'm thinking, oh, I got to watch my watch now as I talk to this person, which is taking me out of being present. Um, Can you maybe speak to that a little bit more? So just the idea that we talk two minutes uh, in in terms of asking questions, we want to get them talking. And then we're going to summarize what we've learned after those eight minutes are up, I guess you talk for two or is it Yeah. Okay. Just kind of go into it a little bit more because I'm just not fully grasping it. So, yeah.
2: Thanks. Absolutely. So the two and 10 are kind of like maximums. It's like the police tape around your conversation. Don't go more than two minutes without getting your customer involved. Don't go more than 10 minutes without creating a summary of what just happened. So you're both on the same page, but it could just as easily be the 32nd, two minute rule or mm-hmm. the two minute, seven minute rule. It doesn't really matter what the time parameters are. What matters is the back and forth.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, do
2: I have people use the stopwatch when they first get started? Oh yeah, I do. Because without that, people can just get nuts. And does it take you out of the present moment? Absolutely. But keep in mind, you're relearning how to talk to people again. I've increased companies' customer service ratings by up to one and a half stars just by teaching them how to do the back and forth again. And it's amazing. And I'm not going to lie to you. It's uncomfortable for some people for the first couple of sessions that they do it because they're just overwhelmed. And yet those exact same people will talk to their significant other on a break or a friend on a break and they shift right into it just naturally.
0: That's See, I'm fascinated by this because at at my company, Engageify, our purpose is to rehumanize business through engagement. And it kind of sounds like we all have to remember how to be human, which is, you know, and we're not even getting into the AI and the technology and this other side of stuff that sometimes, you know, creates all kinds of complexities in in selling situations. This is just the, uh, you know, how, uh, you know a, a sales interaction makes us get all tight and and be weird right like yeah so we need to remember how to have real conversations again and so that framework helps people fall back in in line
2: it does and for some people it comes easier than others some people who are really open can catch on to this real quick and what we do when we talk about this 210 rule with companies is we talk to them how to create interactions because some people are like, they'll just do a check-in. Like, are you Mm. with me so far? And they'll count that as interaction. But the reality is it's not. It's like considering text as an interaction. Yeah, you're talking back and forth, but are you really interacting? 80% of what we do, 80% of the way we communicate is body language. So when you're texting, you're missing 80% of the message. So we really focus on getting people back to just how to do a back and forth, how to get rid of that rigidity. And when I get, I just had a company I coached not long ago, and we three X their sales just by getting salespeople to just start being human and doing a back and forth again.
0: It's I'm 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 smiling and laughing a little bit because it just seems funny that we need to do that, but we need to do that. I know right. I've, I've seen it out there, right? So I'm not. Uh, it, it is a must. And, and that's, you know, the, the connection that's developed by being human is so important these days. Uh, do, you have, do you have any tips for our listeners about how to deepen connection, you know, in, in terms of uh, building bonds and, and in creating and in fostering that, that connection sure. through a conversation?
2: Yeah, and gladly, and before we get into that though, let me just point out something that I think we tend to forget as people is that our reactions to things are usually preconditioned. So if I see something in my past I've seen before and the response I'm about to give has worked for me in the past, Mm -hmm. that's a response I'm gonna use. There was a psychologist, B.F. Skinner, that believed free will was an illusion, that really we're just a big set of preconditioned motions we go through each day. So I think the first thing we need to think about when we're talking to a customer is that they're preconditioned to not want to hear a sales pitch unless they've already bought into our product and our company ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So my first piece of advice is do not, under any circumstances, start with, hi, how are you? Because right there, you're ticking into a preconceived notion. What do you say when I say, hi, how are you?
0: Uh, good. Thanks. Or good. How are you? Right. Right.
2: It's non-conversation. It It's just a greeting. We've gotten so used to it. We could walk through it blindly. My wife and I were Christmas shopping the other day and I walked by a guy and they said, they, they locked eyes to me and they said, Hey, how are you? And I just said, Hey, and he said, fine. Thanks. <laughs> it, it didn't even, right. it didn't even have to it's- happen, but the conditioning is so strong
0: yeah it's like it's like um sh- we don't think about shaking hands we just do it right it's just right. A, built into us and this is so uh, apropos to me right now at, at the time because i'm filming a new uh, trade show training for one of our clients and we we're just talking about opening lines to get people to stop and take notice you know coming to your trade show booth and if you ask something that no one else is asking they will take notice right no so, instead of just like hey you know how's it going which people can just brush off like you're just talking about Jake, yep. you know, say, Hey, what's the best thing you've seen at the show so far, you know, right. something to make them actually think, take notice, and, and then they're going to stop and you might be able to, you know, talk them to coming into your booth and taking a, a deeper dive, but uh, exactly right. So, so right off the bat. Yeah. You don't want to do what everyone else is doing because you want to stand out. Right. It's a pattern. Correct. Interrupt. So, yep. so, okay. Continue with that Jake then.
2: So one of the other things I would suggest is avoid talking about yourself or your company for the first minute, maybe two. Just establish that open communication that they can talk to you and you're not going to jump right into a pitch. So that could be the research you do before you talk to them. Hey, I am so glad you picked up. I saw you're a trucking company. How's it going? Or, hey, I saw you were a trucking company. I see you had a couple of other competitors. How are things going business-wise? Just anything that gets them to talk about themselves. And those were off the cuff and and actually sounded terrible, but they weren't, how are you? So it's a big thing to let people talk about themselves first.
0: Mm.
2: Another thing I would highly suggest is let your passion sell. I talk to entrepreneurs and business people all the time, and I coach a number of them. And one thing they want to do is just talk about their product. And I said to him, you know what? If I shut off your volume, if I just see your lips moving, you're not selling me. So when you turn the volume on, it's not about what you're saying. It's about the emotions that you're bringing up in somebody. And Um, I tell people, just go on a YouTube video and watch them without the sound on. So let your passion sell. You know, there's this famous saying that says, the lion doesn't have to tell you it's a lion. And it's true. You don't have to tell people you're a lion, but your emotions and your passion will show it for you.
0: Mm -hmm. I've done my share of emceeing in in trade show booths, introducing speakers. And they're often partners from different companies, you know, not just internal people. And one thing I noticed after a while is that, you know, I, I, and I'd see a lot of bad speakers and I still do, but then there's someone who just, you know, knocks my socks off and I'm like, Holy, who's this guy? And invariably, They'd be the founder of this startup or of this company, and the passion just speaks volumes. Uh, you were talking about turning yeah, the mic turn down, but passion just comes through so strongly that you just kind of can't help be swept away with their energy, right? And and get excited about it. And I think that's just such a great you know takeaway for people that that are listening here about selling, about talking about a product. Is passion so important? And yet. If you're not the founder, that passion may not come naturally. so do you do you have a tip about you know tapping into that passion for people who maybe don't come by it naturally?
2: Yeah, read, watch videos, listen to podcasts, get that reinforcement constantly about what your enthusiasm does and how to put your emotion into your message. You know, I've been with a number of startups and they have town hall meetings to try and generate the excitement, which is fantastic. And I highly recommend it. But in between those town hall meetings, people just get pounded every day on the phones. No, 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 no. And once the honeymoon period of working for an amazing founder starts to wear off and the sales pitch starts to bang headlong into the objections from the public, it it starts to wear people down. So I am a big advocate of people finding authors they like, finding podcasts they want to follow, not unlike yours, and just continuing to build themselves up mentally. Because sales is, is rarely a personal thing. When somebody tells you no, it's it's not no to you. It's no to the situation, or it's no due to budget or pricing. It's It's never about people, but when they hear it often enough, sometimes they start to take it personally and then you start to get attrition in your sales force
0: Mm -hmm. yeah it's i mean coming from my background where i've sold myself as the product uh you know and now that we have other people and other products and things we do it's it's less but i less personal but i can definitely you know relate to that idea of of you know rejection can be taken personally any which way right absolutely so when, you are, when you're working with companies, are you finding some companies are more open to, uh, you know, bringing in, you know, a, a learning, chief learning officer? Because I've, in our experience, man, some of them get training and they love it and they eat it up. And then some of them, again, it's like the last thing they'll spend money on. Like, and you were just mentioning that earlier. Yeah. Um, what are some of the qualities of, of companies that, that are strong on training or, or that you find are a good fit for you?
2: I find that companies, and this is just based on numbers alone, but I find companies five hundred people and below are typically super receptive. They mm. are typically just getting started, or they're uh, a booming company with five hundred employees that are thrilled to start something new or or to increase sales. But part of it is the enthusiasm, and I've just found in my experience that companies five hundred and below usually have more of a um, a fervor. For the training and development, because they want their people to grow and get bigger. And they might have VCs where they want to get more people involved. And the only way to do that is to show they've got a bigger footprint or or they sell internationally. In my experience, the larger I go with a company, the less open they are.
0: Mm, Right.
2: The other thing, too, is when you have a company that's just getting started first, and I label that as a company that's typically within the first five to seven years, they typically understand the need to train their people and to get a good onboarding program. So when they hire new people, they get the best possible experience when they get started, because a lot of companies decide whether they're going to stay or not based on their ability to grow. Mm. As companies get bigger and and as they make more revenue, they tend to shy away from the training a little bit. Again, this is just my experience. Yeah, and they treat but, it more as a process instead of an art, which sales
0: is. Sure. And I think there's a culture thing built in there too, right? Because True. you know, companies who are strong on training, there is more of an aspirational piece to it right that people feel like they're they're gonna go somewhere or they can or they can build themselves up here and you know whether that opens options in the future somewhere else as well um very interesting yeah um all right well what, where where can people find you jake if if there are companies maybe yeah 500 people and lower that they would be that good fit um where can people uh, find you and uh, your business
2: they can find me on linkedin under Jake Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. And they can find me on my website at jakestahlconsulting.com.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for for coming on, talking about training, talking about sales, uh, connecting with people and developing the rapport and the connection. Um, I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast.
2: Well, thanks again for having me.
0: All right. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, until next time, stay engaged.
1: Thank you so much for listening to Engaging Personalities. If you believe this world needs more engagement and you're an industry leader or you have an interesting take on rehumanizing business, go to go.engagify.ai podcast-guest to apply and come on the show. If you got something out of this interview, do you mind sharing it on your social media? Just grab a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, Tag them on social media to let them know about the show. Include the hashtag engaging personalities. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episode, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Wanna know more? Go to our website, engageify.ai, or follow me on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening and stay engaged.